So as we begin this new series, uh, having laid a little bit of the groundwork earlier this morning, we're going to focus on the first uh, 12 verses of chapter 1. And so let me read uh, 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12, and then we'll have a look at what God wants to say to us this morning through his good word to us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things they have now been revealed to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And Father we thank you for your good word to us and we pray that as we meditate on it now would you speak to our hearts, would you encourage us and shape us. So come Father and have your way we pray. Amen. As we look at these uh, first 12 verses of chapter 1, and out of all of the possible lessons that that God would want to teach us, what we're going to focus on this morning is the reality that that we are to stand firm knowing who we are and knowing whose we are. In, In other words, in a world which seems to run contrary to Jesus in many ways, we're to stand firm knowing our identity is in Christ and the security that his salvation brings. Stand firm knowing who you are and whose you are. So let's begin with this introduction in verse 1 and 2, and we'll spend quite a lot of time in these two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Well, what does this surprisingly dense introduction tell us about the identity of the followers of Jesus? Well, let's just highlight a couple of sections in this phrase. Firstly, elect exiles. Well, to be an exile is to be removed from your place of citizenship. It's to be away from your home. 
And that is a situation that every Christian finds themselves in. See, whether you physically live in, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, or, or Gilnahurk, or Braniel, or Newton Breda, or Newton Ards, or Dundonald, or Castlereagh, wherever you live, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are God's child, then your true home is with him in eternity. That's why Paul uses the language in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, for now, you are in exile here. We're removed from our place of genuine citizenship. And as we move through the letter, what we will see is that doesn't mean we don't care about how we live in the place that we live in. But it does mean that our priorities are completely shaped by knowing that our identity is as citizens of heaven. It's who we are. Heaven is our home. We, we are exiles on earth. And as exiles, we're then to be representative of God's kingdom here. Again, thinking of Paul's language, he talks about we are Christ's ambassadors in Second Corinthians 5. We're to live in a way that demonstrates the values and the authority of our true home, of our heavenly home. And, and very often following that way, being ambassadors of Christ, living the different and, and the authoritative values of his kingdom will put us at odds with the world that we live in. It will clash. But we should expect it to in many ways. Jesus promised his followers in John 15 that, that, that the world wouldn't be easy for them. Throughout scripture we see it too that, that God's people either live faithfully to their identity as God's children. Think of Daniel as an example. Or, or they blend into the culture around them and therefore drift from God's design for their life. Think of, for example, the, the nation of Israel uh, demanding a king in First Samuel. The biblical pattern is clear though. God's call on his people is to be distinctive. The Bible uses the term holy and we'll see that later in, in, in Peter's letter. But it seems right from the outset that God is trying to help us understand the tension that we sometimes face between living in the world is because we are living as exiles in the world. And that is based on our deep reality that we are citizens of heaven. Our identity is elsewhere. This world is not our eternal home. And that may bring some difficulty as we seek to live as ambassadors of our true kingdom. But that is who we are. Now, now think of how comforting that is and how that would be, this idea of being elect exiles. Think of the comfort that would bring to the first readers of this letter. Groups of Christians who are being maligned and suffering for their faith. Life was hard and history would show that it was only going to get harder as the persecution under Nero would begin in, in the mid-60s AD. Yet to know that God had chosen them, that his, he is sovereignly in control. Think of the confidence and the assurance that that would give them, knowing that the circumstances, circumstances that they find themselves in was no reflection on their faith and certainly no reflection on the object of their faith. They were elect exiles. Their citizenship was elsewhere. And so as they lived out as ambassadors of his kingdom, of course, that may bring tension, clashing and difficulty. And this is true for us again today, too. To know that on a wider scale, that our salvation is totally and completely based on God's work, not our own. Yes, we may have seasons of doubt, seasons of trouble, seasons of difficulty because we're living away from our home. But those seasons of difficulty do not shake the assurance that God has saved us, that his work is secure, that if we trust in him, then he alone 
is secure. He will not let us go. See, to think back to a phrase that Stephen Whitmer helped us with last week, God does everything and we do something. And in terms of our salvation, of course that is the case. God chooses. God makes a way for sins to be forgiven. God brings awareness of sin and the need for for repentance. God draws us to himself. And as we'll see in the verses that follow, God protects, God keeps, God guides. And yes, we do something. We come before him. We plead for forgiveness. We actively follow him as we seek to fight sin and pursue holiness. But the work of saving our souls is purely and solely and joyously God's work. He alone can make us righteous. It's because of him that we're welcomed into his kingdom and now we're ambassadors of his kingdom. And what comfort this brings in a world that seems so uncertain to know that we are elect exiles. And so when we face that tension, when we face that difficulty, it's not because that we're, we're, it is, sorry, it is because we are living in a world that is not our home. And we are seeking to live as ambassadors of a kingdom that is not of this world. We are elect exiles. And so what comfort that brings, what assurance that brings. God has chosen us. Our home is elsewhere with him. And so we must live faithfully. And just one more note about verse 1 and 2. Reading on we see in verse 2. These elect exiles who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Did you notice how the whole trinity is involved in our salvation. Foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. This is so rich. To be foreknown by God means that that he has set his affection on us in eternity past. His love for his children is boundless. It is unchanging. He foreknows us. What great joy this brings. We are sanctified by the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work within us that brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And then his work continues in us, seeking to mould us more and more into the likeness of Christ as we live for him here. And we're sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. That that Old Testament image of, of the cleansing of sin and atonement by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Jesus took our place Jesus took the place of the wrath and judgment of God that we deserved to take. And he took that place not because we earned it, but because God graciously set his affection upon us. He graciously loved. And so because of his death, the penalty of our sins is then fully paid. And so we can give our lives completely to him, seeking to live in obedience to him and to his call in our lives. The whole trinity is involved in our salvation. Now there's so much that we could talk about here. But let us appreciate just the wonder and the joy of the fact that those of us who know and claim Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, we are saved. This salvation story is wonderful. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit working as one to bring sinners to himself. This is who we are. This is whose we are. We are elect exiles. We are saved by the triune, sovereign, eternal and majestic God. This is who we are. This is whose we are. Stand firm. With all that being said, no wonder Peter continues in verse 3 with the phrase, Praise be, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Praise be indeed. What great love and mercy and grace that Peter has set out before us as he's reminded us of God's saving work in our life. And this next section, verses 3 to 9, it's a wonderful explanation of some of the reasons that we have to give God this praise it's the foundation of our hope. And, and hopefully I pray that you get to unpack so much more of this as you meditate on these words after this time now. As you spend time talking about it with each other, with, uh, with our, um, on your own even meditating in your home, on your own, in life groups. For, for now I, I just simply want to uh, slowly read through and pause as we work our way through these wonderful verses and consider what God may be speaking clearly to us. Praise be, verse 3, to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance that we have been given, it can never disappear. Regardless of the circumstances of life, regardless of the the emotions and the way that those emotions are currently leading us, we can know the certainty of our coming inheritance, not because we have secured it, but because God has given. In his great mercy, he has given. He has given new birth. He has given an inheritance. God has given it. And this God is the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We can trust in him. The rest of verse 4, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Again, what an encouragement that the security of our inheritance isn't, isn't based on how, how well we can hold on to it. But it is being kept for us. It is secure. It cannot be taken away. This inheritance is being kept in heaven for you who, verse 5, through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As our faith is in God and in God alone, his power, that resurrection power, shields us until the end. God will hold us. In a few moments we're going to sing, he will hold me fast. And I pray that as these words from First Peter ring in our hearts and our ears, then we will sing those words with renewed vigour and thanksgiving. He will hold us fast. He will keep and he will shield Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice. In all this, well in everything that's been said up until this point, the fact that we are saved, we are elected, we are exiles, we are we have been given this new birth into a living hope, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, that is being kept for us while we are being shielded, of course we rejoice. This is security and, and power and, and all of this is fuel for our praise. God is so good and we therefore fervently want to give him praise. Look at what he has done for us. Look at what he has done in us. Look at what is to come. Give him the praise and allow joy to, to, to well up within you. In all this you greatly rejoice. But the rest of verse 6. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Trials have come, you have had to suffer. Trials will come. Suffering is a reality. And God through Peter isn't papering over that reality. He's not belittling the suffering. But 
what he is trying to help us see is that those sufferings, even the most horrific and painful, they are temporary. They will end. They do not quench his work in our life. They do not shake the foundation of our eternal identity and our eternal home. Remember the five verses that have gone before. It's all been a celebration of how God has brought us into his family. How he has secured our citizenship with him. It's been about who we are and whose we are. And in the midst of the trials and the suffering that will come. Or maybe even are coming for you. It has, it has That does not change. Who we are and whose we are does not change. We are still his. He still holds us. And he is still at work. These trials have come. Then verse 7, these have come so that, these trials have come so that, that those sufferings and trials are not accidental. They are not without purpose. God is achieving something. Now I realise that we, some, we often do not see that as very difficult to comprehend in the, in the moment. But let that build your faith. Because of all that has been said before, we can know that God is achieving something. He is still holding us fast. These have come, the rest of verse 7, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. These trials have come so that your faith in Jesus, in the midst of those trials, will bring him the praise and glory and honour that he deserves. See, he grants us the faith in the first place. He sustains us through life, including those times of suffering. And so, of course, he should be praised. Ultimately, our whole lives are about giving him glory and praise and honour. He has saved us, and so we seek to live our lives in a way that that constantly and consistently signpost people to him. The the only one who's worthy of that lasting praise and glory and honour. Let's finish with these words in verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith in Jesus brings joy. Inexpressible, glorious joy. Because we're saved. We have been saved because of what Jesus has already completed and won for us. We are being saved as we continually live in the the daily reality of the Spirit working within us. And we will be saved. Our eternal and lasting security, our salvation is secure. Those three things, those three tenses of salvation, they're not mutually exclusive. We have been saved by what Jesus has done. We are being saved now as the Spirit works in us and seeks to to mould us more into his likeness. And we know that we will be saved. And we can be assured of each of those stages. God's salvation is so incredibly complete. We can live freely in the joy that that brings. We are saved. These wonderful words in verses 3 to 9. There's so much that we could say, maybe should say. But as as we come to a finish here, perhaps we just need to pause and take a breather. This is this is good news. These verses are so wonderfully rich and deep and, and joy inducing. Please don't rush away from them. Just because we've come to the end of our time here in this service, please don't let this be the end of your time in these words. God has so much to, to comfort and excite and encourage and challenge us in these words with this text. Please allow his spirit to continue his work in you as his word is planted in your life. 
But as we leave this time this morning, my prayer is that we will know with greater clarity and with greater assurance that whatever you're going through in life this week, today, however you may be feeling this morning, however far down this road of faith you may feel, if you know and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Saviour, then hear again the wonderful truth of who you are and whose you are. And then stand firm in that truth. You are chosen by God, elected by him, foreknown in eternity. You are receiving an imperishable inheritance which he is keeping for you. You can know joy, lasting and eternal joy because of his work in your life. Even in the trials, know that you are not alone. God is with you. He is achieving something with you. And this is the God who holds you. The God who has raised Christ from the dead. The God who is sovereignly in control of the whole universe. The God who will come again. The God who will take you into his presence in your eternal home with him. This is who you are. This is whose you are. Let's live like we know those things. And, and having heard all of this this morning, how else are we to respond but to praise? And to praise his wonderful name. Let's do that together. Whether you're in the building or whether you're watching online, let's praise this great and glorious God. And as we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your majesty, your sovereign control, your incredible might. God, we thank you that your word speaks to us today. Thank you that your spirit uh, works in our lives as we hear your word and you continue to work in and through us. Lord, I pray that in, in all the complexity of, of life circumstances that, that we find ourselves in, Father, would you ground us firmly in the reality of who we are and whose we are. As we do that, Father, may we know joy and freedom because we know who we are and whose we are. May our faith and our trust in you grow as we see you doing miraculous and wonderful things in your world in and through us. And Lord, even for those of us, many of us who are suffering, who are going through these trials, maybe not the persecution like these first Christians would have experienced, but Lord, you know that many of us are feeling heavy this morning. We're feeling dragged along. Would you help us and equip us? with the wonderful reality of your truth and your presence with us in a way, Father, that helps us even in those trials to live with this glorious and inexpressible joy, knowing that you are at work, you are achieving your purposes. So, Lord, would you build our faith? Would you primarily, Father, receive the glory and honour and praise that is due your name? And for all of these things and so much more, we give you thanks. Amen.